What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to the Week 8 Friday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show. I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, my pal, my gambling savant, Joe House, who hit his another one of his bets last week. He is on a roll this season on the Bet the House 5-2. and two. House, you're cleaning up. You're sweeping the board on these suckers. How do you feel? Your momentum, it was a great teaser leg that you put in last week. You know, two teams, Giants to Seahawks. You're looking to roll with potentially another one. You're going to surprise us at the end of the episode. Everybody needs to be paying close attention to what you come up with this week. How you feeling, buddy? Well, I'm feeling good because we caught another exciting backdoor cover on <laughs> Thursday night football, Warren Sharp. Amazing. Baker Mayfield, the backdoor master, delivered... Uh, and and once again, you know, the margin between these covers and and you know the letting the, the dog come in the back door, it's it's razor thin. A fourth and ten, a penalty, you know, a, a grazing of the face mask. Baker stays alive. We catch the uh cover, and once again, a prime time under, which I believe now brings the prime time unders to 17 and seven this season, which is right in line with the insane under uh, pathway that we've been on all season long, Warren Sharp. Yeah, it's it continues. Um, and what also continues is this other trend that I've been noticing where there's production in the first half of the game and then the team that's up takes their foot off the gas pedal. The team that's down can't seem to get their shit figured out. And then it's just a boring, disgusting, gross game. I mean, it was hilarious watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was like they were trying to, it's like they were up by three points and just trying to bleed out the entire clock and maybe kick a field goal, you know, at the very end to, to put it out of reach so the other team couldn't kick a field goal or something to tie the game. Like, they weren't up by three, however, they were down by 14. But you're absolutely right. The razor thin <laughs> margin of some of these games, the play that House was talking about for all of you guys who are waking up groggy on Friday morning and listening to the podcast. Baker Mayfield was being sacked on like a fourth and eight, a fourth and six, something along those lines. And it was about to be the Buffalo Bills ball in Tampa Bay territory, up 14 points with like four minutes left in the game. And it was a clear sack. He was in the grasp. He was going down. But at the last second, the defender 
grabbed the face mask, didn't need to do it. It was already sacking him to the ground, pulled his face. And, and the ref, after Baker was on the ground, threw the penalty marker in for the left-hand corner of the screen. Boom, automatic 15-yard penalty, first down for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They end up scoring the two-point conversion happened, but that didn't make any difference whatsoever. They were already covering the spread uh, at that point in time, which closed at 10. And this thing opened at like uh, eight, was bet up very consistently, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, all the way up to 10, where it closed. And of course, that allowed Tampa Bay to cover the spread. And you don't have that face mask, Tampa Bay is probably not covering this spread house. Um, and that's just how the season has been going. And so I was talking to you before the show about how I personally, and and this is just a message to everybody who's out there listening, everybody bets differently. Everybody likes to bet certain things. I can't tell you, obviously I have clients at my my service. I can't tell you how num- how many clients just like to bet sides and totals, how they really don't, they're not degenerates like us. You know, we like to bet props a lot and they don't dabble into that. My props like this year, I've had so much more success researching and being accurate on hitting props I'm like north of 65% on just props right now. Went five and one tonight on just props. And I, I just feel like I've got a better grasp on those. It's easier to hit those and be more consistent. Whereas these game ATS spreads or totals, it's just one call here or there tends to flip some of these things too egregiously with the way the refs are calling things or the way that like teams are playing with the lead and then just slow down. And, and it's just, it's just so much more difficult this year. There's so many more coin flips than I can ever remember on like sides, whereas props seem to be just cashing so much more consistently. Have you noticed that in what you've been doing and maybe how have you acted upon that? Have you been betting more in the prop market or maybe you've shifted more to teasers because you're trying to move away from ATS picks in general? What have you been looking to do? You know, it's such a good point and it really is absolutely in alignment with our discussion last week and the work that you did, the research you did about the depressive effect on scoring this year through a combination of, you know, the factors you outlined with, you know, the the way the offenses have been performing, the way the games are being called by the refs. I myself, you know what market I'm in? I'm in the same game parlay market. And it does absolutely kind of play off of the the prop market that you're describing. But, you know, with with, you know, some combinations here, if you have reasonable certainty on a couple of legs of a like a three-leg same game parlay then you know to to me the return on that i think you know the the math is bearing it out that you're getting decent value on playing you know uh, uh, the, these these three-leg same game uh parlays the, the and and it's a fun market to be in yeah it it absolutely is and i'll just tell people this another it's not a, really a trick everybody should know this but i'll i'll i I was I learned this from people that were smarter than me in the prop space several years ago. Um, and that is when you're looking to bet props, especially props that maybe are a little bit more counterintuitive, the best way to do it is to say, if this prop wins, what else is more likely to happen in a game? And then bet a few of those things as well. You can't go overboard in terms of risk or units that you, you put on that, but you want to bet narratives. You want to bet storylines with the way that a game might play out. So for example, on tonight's game, I was reading some articles. I saw that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wanted to pass the ball more. They said, we're not a run first team. We're, we, we maybe need to transition a little bit more to the pass. And so I took Baker Mayfield's passing yards over. I took Rashard White's pa- uh, receiving yards over. And I took Rashard White's rushing yards under and rushing attempts under. Because all those things are correlated, right? If they're, if they're passing the ball more and yeah. Rashard White's catching the ball more, Baker Mayfield's likely to go over his yardage as well. And then Rashard White's not going to have as many opportunities on the ground and his rushing yards and his rushing attempts. And so all of those hit, that's four and oh, just sweep the board on those. Now I had to get lucky late. The Bucks had to get the ball back. Baker was not trending to, to go over 228 and a half. All the others were in pretty good shape. But the point is when you're betting props, and, and you can throw them into same game parlays as well. They're going to, some of these things will be, end up being correlated and thus your payout's going to be a little bit lower. But, you know, start betting some storylines here. If you are going to move into the prop market a little bit more, that would be one of my 
bits of advice here. And the other bit of advice I would suggest is, again, like I said, there are some people out there, they're like, I like betting sides. I like betting totals. I don't really dabble in the prop market. All I can tell you is, I'm not saying go overboard, get into props crazy, but you better start experimenting because that market is so much easier to beat, even just in a regular season, let alone a season like the one that we're having. So if you want to start betting, whether it's a recreational thing that you do or you want to try to make money off of it, you need to be opening your eyes to what props have available to what 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 the world of props could give you uh, when you're betting on these games, because the reality is like when you're handicapping a game you have to factor in players efficiencies and outputs into your handicap and so you can just bet the derivatives of those efficiencies and that's what a prop literally is so it's not it's not like it's that big of a reach to start betting a few props i think people need to get into that market a little bit more if they're not already big picture takeaway on the outcome of this thursday night football game the bills hold on they're still alive they're at 5 and 3 uh, and, and, you know, in second place behind the dolphins in the AFC East, the, uh, Tampa Bay bucks are down to three and four in, in the NFC South. Um, you know, what, what's your best sort of gut feeling on what comes next for the bills in terms of the, the rest of the season? Well, the Bills, I still don't like what I'm seeing from them in general. I loved, first of all, I loved what I'm, what I saw tonight. But in general, the way that they slow down and the fragility of like this offense, when you saw Josh Allen take that fall on his throwing shoulder and then go into the blue tent, it's like the season could be over in a heartbeat if something happens to Josh Allen. But the fact that they operated finally up tempo, passed the ball a lot, uh, came out the gates, getting very creative with the way that they were attacking Tampa Bay, um, did something they weren't doing in the prior games. All of those things are great. Like that was excellent from Ken Dorsey. Um, they kept stalling out in the red zone though. Like they had a couple of drives down there where they, they stalled out. I think they turned it over on downs. Uh, one of their first drives of the game set up for a field goal. I believe like they, they, they need to fix some of the things that they're doing down inside of the red zone. Like most teams around the league, that's part of the issue in scoring. Um, but if if I could be convinced, like they obviously slowed down in the second half. If I could be convinced that they were going to play every game like they played the first half, like the way they came out the Gates house, I would feel a lot better about them. But um, I still believe they, like a lot of teams in the NFL, are are fragile and can be beat almost any week. Like there's ups and downs and I'm nothing would surprise me with the Buffalo Bills. They're not the juggernaut that we saw a couple of years ago, because if you're not scoring like a juggernaut, then you're all, then the other team's going to be in the game. I mean, their defense is still extremely weak. I don't know where Mike Evans was for large portions of this game. I have no idea what the Bucks offense was looking to do. They continued to run the ball a little bit too much on first down. So there was opportunities for them to attack the defense and they just weren't doing it like the weakness of this bill's defense. I, I felt like they weren't doing it enough. Um, but this bill's defense is pretty weak. And so if you want to feel confident about your ability to win games and win them comfortably, your offense has to be operating on like fucking overdrive. You have to be putting up 30 plus points so that teams, even if they have a good offensive output on you are only scoring 24 points and you're up in the thirties and you feel safe. These games where you're not scoring enough and you turn it down in the second half, like you're just asking for trouble. Like, and so that's where I feel like the bills are right now as it relates to the NFC South and the Bucks, And, you know, we're going to be seeing the, the Saints take on the Indianapolis Colts this week. We're going to see everybody's playing this week. So we're going to see the Atlanta Falcons as well. I mean, I, I still feel like this is the Atlanta Falcons division to lose. Um, they should have crushed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week with all those turnovers inside the one inch line, one yard line and 11 yard line. These fumbles that they were losing. Absolutely absurd. Um, but I feel like the needle for them is pointing up. I feel like there is untapped upside potential if Ritter plays a little bit better, like the talent that they have, the strength of their defense, like a lot of different factors coming together that I'm not really getting the sense of that from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or from the New Orleans Saints. Do you agree? Yeah, the, the, the insane thing is the only team in that division with positive point differential is the Saints. The the Falcons have a, a negative 18 you know, uh, point differential. But in terms of what we're watching with our own eyes, 
I like everything I see out of Atlanta and I have a future on them to win that division, except for the quarterback position. And the mistakes are not even over the last few weeks. Now, the, the mistakes against Washington were, were some judgment mistakes. The mistakes this, this most recent uh, week against Tampa on the road were just dumb, dumb, you know, bad luck, like fumbles on the one on the on the on the transition from the center. The snap, like, what are we talking about? Those aren't, you know, so I don't know. I, I Atlanta's still the, the the front runner, and they have the most potential on both sides of the ball. I know that fantasy owners are absolutely jubilant that we're seeing some of the 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 pass catchers of Atlanta actually have a pulse, but you know, that's kind of enough on the NFC South. We have an amazing slate of games this coming week. Everybody's playing, no buys this week. So let's jump into this card, Sharpie. Yeah, and look, I love the fact that we've got a lot of games, but I I got to tell you, I don't know why. Does anybody know? Have we found out why the NFL just said no buys this week? And we we see no buys at Thanksgiving, and then they go back to giving a couple teams a buy, and then we're done with buys. But we usually don't see a week like this, week eight, where everybody's playing. So I do, I do not know why everybody is playing this week. I I much rather prefer the 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 six games at 1 p.m. and the four games at 4 p.m. Uh, so now we've got nine at one and still only four at four. Uh, so I hate the NFL this week. Go back to a better schedule next <laughs> week. Let's keep our fingers crossed. But you were doing okay for a few weeks there. Uh, let's start with one of the bigger games of the week. And this is one, there's a few of these games, House, where it's it's hard to break it down in detail and feel super strong about it today on Thursday night into Friday morning because we don't know the status yet of Brock Purdy. There's a couple of these games where we're not 100% certain. The, in the Monday night game, uh, producer Mike's favorite team, the Las Vegas Raiders, same exact situation where with Jimmy G there, but like we don't know what's going on with Purdy. So the Cincinnati Bengals right now are taking on the San Francisco 49ers is one of the marquee matchups late in the, uh, in the afternoon slate at 425 p.m. What do you make of this game house right now? The Cincinnati Bengals are catching four points. It was a lot lower. It was higher, then it dropped lower. Now we got Purdy taking some reps at practice, which is all part of this concussion protocol. You're allowed to work through it now. Uh, the, the new rules are you're allowed to practice and you, in fact, have to practice a little bit to then get cleared. Um, and so he was out there, I don't know, taking some reps. I saw some video of him. We'll see if he's actually able to go. But because he was on the field doing that, the line moved now to San Francisco minus four. Total is sitting at 43 and a half. Yeah, I see it at four and a half on the FanDuel Sportsbook. And it was at five and a half at the beginning of the week. I loved it so much at five and a half. Uh, and then it bounced down to three and a half on the Purdy news. And now there's a, there's a split the baby kind of vibe going on uh, at four and a half. Um, I like Cincinnati here. I feel like this is the version of the Bengals, these, these last couple of games where the combination of whatever miracle uh, remedy that, that Joe Burrow encountered, you know, three, three weeks ago that, that improved his calf situation and what they did in week five by taking care of business against Arizona. And then, you know, that I, I don't really think that it was uh, uh disappointing for them to be in a knockdown drag out situation with Seattle. I think Seattle's good. So I don't really hold that against um, the Bengals that, the, that how competitive that game was um, the, the look ahead. I think when the schedule came out, the look ahead for this game was Cincinnati was, was San Francisco uh, minus one and, you know, jumping it all the way up to, to five and a half. Um, must must be attributable to the combination of how good San Francisco looked in early October, and then you know the the fact that basically Joe Burrow in Cincinnati was playing itself into shape. The thing that's most impressive to me about Cincinnati has been the defense. The defense uh, is is it seems to be coming around. Um, the first four games. They were uh, on the field, that defense, for an average of 32 minutes of field time. And so their EPA was, was, was bad. Now, over the last couple of games, wins over Arizona and Seattle, 
the C- uh, the Cincinnati defense number three in, in EPA. That's the the more important trend to me. Obviously, their season you, you have to have a healthy Joe Burrow. No no healthy Joe Burrow means that that you're you're you know you're there's no season. But that defense coming into order, that's the thing that makes me feel like the Cincinnati team rounding into shape. And I love them catching anything more than a field goal in this situation, especially with the possibility that Sam Darnold's going to be playing this week. I tend to agree with you. The only thing that you suggested there that I might have a little bit of pushback on is the fact that the Cincinnati defense is coming into form and is improving. They are. Statistically, that is like you can't argue against that. However, when you look at who they've played, I think there's a little bit of reason to pause. We're talking about you played the Tennessee Titans, which is a terrible offense right now in general. You played the Arizona Cardinals. We already know Josh Dobbs. We're going to be talking about him, I think, later uh, in in the p- potential of a, a game that was in a teaser window. Uh, but Josh Dobbs and that Arizona Cardinals offense, like they're fading quickly. Their star is burning out. And they're especially terrible in the second half of games. And then, yes, they played Seattle. Seattle's the only team that did not rank like close to bottom 10 of the three that they just played. Seattle has a top 10 offense. However, Seattle had what, like six, five or six trips to the red zone and they scored only one touchdown and they were moving the ball at will on the road in Cincinnati, having a lot of success. They just couldn't punch in the score. They should have won that game outright, in my opinion. Um, and I don't know that it was the Bengals defense that was the standout of that game. It was just some inconsistencies from Geno Smith, in my opinion, that they were getting down to the red zone and couldn't punch it in. So um, I don't disagree when you're talking about a 49ers team that does not have Brock Purdy in the lineup. Um, Sam Darnold is a step down. Now, if you were to tell me maybe uh, like, let's say midway through last season before Brock Purdy had the job, Mr. Irrelevant versus Sam Darnold, who's the better quarterback? quarterback, like if you need one of these guys to come in and play for you for for Kyle Shanahan next week, I'm probably saying Sam Darnold, right? But then all of a sudden Brock Purdy comes out of nowhere and he actually looks like he fits the puzzle perfectly for Kyle Shanahan. I don't yet know if Sam Darnold in live reps, in live action against a defense like Cincinnati's, which whether they're coming around or not, Lou Anarumo is a good defense coordinator. He knows what Kyle's going to want to do. Unless Sam is operating it perfectly, like flying that ship exactly the way Kyle has had Brock Purdy fly it, then this 49ers offense could take a wrong turn, um, you know, not hit some of the buttons that they should be hitting to get the result that they need to get here. So um, this is a, a tough one for me. I would be leaning, though, to the Cincinnati Bengals at the present moment, um, especially if there's no Trent Williams. Uh, like we got to see a lot more for the injury report beyond even Brock Purdy in this one, in my opinion, House. Well, yeah, no, we know that Debo is out and Trent Williams is obviously crucial. And we just, you know, witnessed it these last two performances against the Browns and the Vikings. I mean, I'm sure San Francisco is thrilled to be back home. But let, let's go on to one of the most fascinating matchups of the week, which is the two rookie quarterbacks taken in the top five of the most recent draft. And a lot of people out there saying the Carolina Panthers whiffed. They should have taken the guy in Houston, the Houston Texans on the road, laying three at the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers coming off of a bye. the total in that game, I believe is 43 and a half. Of course, we're talking about Bryce young and Carolina. Oh, and six is their uh, record, they are either 0-6 against the spread or 0-5-1, depending on what number you had uh, in the, in that Saints game where they scored late. And, you know, the Texans have been a little bit of, of, of a quiet, you know, darling of the, the, you know, analytics community. Everybody's loving this version of C.J. Stroud that we've seen. He's super efficient in a clean pocket. And for whatever reason even with the disarray along the offensive line of the Houston Texans, all of the shuffling 
that's been going on, he's had a relatively clean pocket. You know, he ends up getting, you know, decent, decent looks. Um, I have seen a lot of folks weighing in and saying this is a good opportunity to buy low on Carolina, buy low on Bryce Young. Um, a, a change has been made organizationally uh, with the Panthers where uh, play calling duties are now in the hands of, I believe the gentleman's name is Thomas Brown. Is that the, the offensive coordinator? Yeah. So um, Frank Reich is not going to be messing around with, with play calling. And Carolina coming off of a bye. Um, how are you sizing this one up? I love this game. This is my favorite game of the whole week. I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I know there's some better games out there that probably would be more interesting, but there's a lot of things that I'm going to be watching for in this game that are fascinating to me that maybe others don't feel the same way. So I'll just share my view on the game, why I think I'm so intrigued by it. You do have the number one versus number two pick. CJ Stroud is a very proud guy. He is not happy that he didn't go number one overall. He wanted to go number one overall. Now he's not going to be sitting here saying that, like, you should have taken me number one, like at this point in his interviews to the Carolina Panthers, but trust me, he's got the opportunity to go show them on the field. And this is not a uh, divisional game. This is not even an interconference game. This is a this is a game where he's not going to play from the AFC South, the the NFC South, very often. So this is one opportunity he gets at his rookie year to go show up the team that just drafted another guy over him. I can guarantee you, he's he's excited to be able to put his talents on display. Then you've got Bryce Young, who's heard all heard all this talk about. CJ Stroud being the much better pick and Carolina made a big mistake and they should have drafted. So I guarantee you he's looking to go out there and prove some things as well. Um, there's a lot of angles to this. So let me start with the first one. I did a lot of research uh, on this game. And one of the things I was curious is how do quarterbacks that started before the bye that are rookies do after the bye? Because I was envisioning that they would be able to work with their offensive coordinator pull out some stuff they didn't like, emphasize some stuff that they do like, maybe dial up a few new things. Maybe the offense looks a little bit more exciting or interesting when they come back off of a bye as a rookie starter. Sure enough, I went all the way back to 2002. So just over 20 years of these rookie quarterbacks that are pretty consistent starters, 36 and 19 to the over off of a bye, oh. which is what we've got for both okay. these quarterbacks. They are both off of a bye. So that's 65% to the over. The average total is about 46, sorry, 42.6 points. The average final score is 46.1. So we've got that going for us. We've also got this interesting angle that this is a winless team off of a bye in the Carolina Panthers. Now, the Carolina Panthers are a very, very unique situation house to be a winless team off of a bye. Why is that? Well, because they're not trying to lose. They already drafted their number one quarterback. They're not tanking. They don't want to keep losing. They need to figure out a way to win a game. And a lot of times, winless teams this late in the season off of a bye are good bets to back against the spread. Um, but they're also good bets to back to the over. Winless teams off of a bye are 16 and nine to the over from week seven onwards. Uh, I think since 20 years now, just over 20 years since 2002, 73% of the time they go over this, uh, over the posted total winless teams off of a buy from week seven onwards. You got this other element in, in Frank Reich who handed over the play calling duties. We'll talk about that momentarily, but Frank Reich. He's might be a conservative play caller. He might be a fossil from a play design standpoint. But one thing that he's not is he's not not aggressive. He's quite aggressive. And in fact, last week when they were last game out, when they were playing the Miami Dolphins, he went for it at his own 31 yard line. He went for it at his own 40 yard line. He went for it at his own 49 yard line three separate times in that game. They turned it over on downs in their own territory. What do you need sometimes if you're trying to go over the total? You need a team to be willing to do that, right? You need a team to be in a game down by a little bit and say, fuck it, we're just going to go for it on our own 31-yard line. And if the, they turn it over there, yeah. boom, the other team's already about to score points. Like the one thing you don't want when you are when you are betting an over, especially in a climate like with the current NFL, 
You don't want punts. You don't want what we saw tonight in the Bills game where the Bills get to the 50-yard line and then take a delay a game and punt and pin the uh, Bucks back at their three-yard line. And the Bucks can't do anything. And then they punt it back and then the Bills do nothing. And they punt and pin again. And that's just kept going back and forth. You don't want punts. If you're looking to bet and over, what you want is a team that's going to be aggressive and go for it so that regardless whether they convert, they're in scoring territory potentially. If they don't convert, the other team's very close to being in scoring territory. So that's, that's kind of what you want. And that's what I think that the climate might be here for a desperate Carolina Panthers team playing at home to try to get a win. Let's first talk about why this element, why this game from a matchup perspective might be good for CJ Stroud is because he has the largest splits in the NFL to pressure. He's the most sensitive quarterback to pressure. If he's kept clean, his EPA is number two. His success rate is number seven. His yards per attempt is 9.0. That's number three. If he is pressured, his yards per attempt dropped down to 4.8. That's number 28. His success rate drops from seven to 27. His EPA per attempt drops from number two best to number 30. Okay. Every statistic drops dramatically. His third down conversion rate, if he's kept clean, he's third best in the NFL at 54%. But if he's under pressure on third down, drops all the way down to 12% conversion rate. That's number 30. The Carolina Panthers get pressure at the lowest rate in the NFL. And if you look at some of the most recent defenses that the Houston Texans have gone up against, we're talking about the Saints, the Falcons, the Steelers, the Jaguars, like the Jaguars have an underrated defense, especially against the run. The Saints are a good defense. The Falcons are a good defense and the Steelers are hit and miss. But all of those defenses are massively better. They're all above average in terms of what they're going up against in the Carolina Panthers, who are a number 30 ranked defense and are also dealing with injuries. You mentioned Thomas Brown. I just want to give the good people a little bit of background on Thomas Brown, what you can be looking for when you're watching Bryce Young and this Carolina Panthers offense, what they might do a little bit differently. Uh, I think they're going to be using more tempo. Thomas Brown spent three years in LA under Sean McVay. He was a tight ends coach. He was a running backs coach. He came out. I listened to his entire press conference when he was first introduced. He said he was hoping that he'd be given this opportunity. Frank Reich gave it to him. He's super excited for it. What he likes to do is he presents a muddy picture to a defense with pre-snap motion and using window dressing. He learned a lot from Sean McVay in that regard. Uh, he also said that he learned how to attack defenses using formation variation, formation marriage, motion adjustments, and that's going to be a big part of what they do moving forward. I'm excited to see what he might do differently. I'm excited to see the tempo. And the last thing I'll leave the uh, listeners with, House, is just when you look to bet a game in the NFL, I think you should be looking for two things. You're looking for value. So if you have a model, whether it's a totals model, whether it's a model for spread, something like that, you're looking for value, where the line is off. You're also looking for information that's not accounted for in the line. You know, it's hard to account for some of some information in a model. It's also hard for the odds makers to account for certain information. I don't think the odds makers, when they set this total, took into consideration two rookie quarterbacks off of a buy and how frequently those games go over the total. I don't think they took into consideration desperation of a winless team off of a buy and how often those games go over the total. I don't think they took into consideration a new offensive coordinator for Carolina Panthers and what he might do differently from a tempo perspective. And I obviously don't think they took into consideration kind of the... um the competitive nature that both of these quarterbacks are going to have going up against one another to prove that in Bryce Young's case, he was worthy of the number one pick. And in CJ Stroud's case, that he should have been the number one pick. I mean, obviously this game could go under. A lot of these games have been going under, but this was one spot that I thought has value to the over. I would advise you right now, hunt and peck and look for a 43. There are a couple out there, but if you can't find it, just wait and hope that somebody bets this thing down a little bit because 43 is a valuable number in totals. And I like the over. I took it at 41 and a half personally. Um, I wanted 41, couldn't get 41 uh, because it wasn't widely available on Monday morning when I wanted to jump into the market here because I knew other people would probably be looking at some of these same statistics, some of the same offensive coordinator changes and want to go over this total as well. So I wanted to get in early here. Um, I did not let the fact that I could not get a key number of 41 dissuade me from going on the over here at 41 and a half. So if you can't find a 43, I would still say go over 43 and a half, but wait and try to get that number. I, I do like there to be a few more points than expected in this one.
let's jump into the prop market real quick because we talked about that at the top. If your game script has Thomas Brown, you know, featuring some some up tempo and some of this motion that you're describing, the beneficiaries of that should be guys like Adam Thielen and DJ Shark and and Hayden Hurst, right? Yeah, there is actually a prop on the other side of the ball that I like a little bit better. Um, I'm looking at some Nico Collins props. Uh, the okay. Houston Texans are going to be down. It looks like uh, Robert Woods. And as a result, I just think Nico Collins is up for the potential of a good game here, especially when you talk about lack of pressure being applied by Carolina. We're going to have more opportunity for CJ Stroud to survey the field and get the ball to his number one without Woods out there. So I'm looking at some Nico Collins props, but you're absolutely not wrong. One of the easiest props I bet uh, two weeks ago was Adam Thielen uh, receptions over. <laughs> I forget what that was. It might have been five and a half. And I mean, he had like six in, in the two minutes into the second quarter or something like that. It was ridiculous. So um I would probably be looking in that market as well. Although we don't know yet the run pass balance that they might attempt to introduce here. That's the only question. They could look to lean a little bit more on the ground game. I think that they're phasing out um, Miles Sanders a little bit, like not phasing him out, out, just like not to be the predominant number one here. And so you might get a little bit more Chuba Hubbard into the game, a little bit more balance. I think that's good for the total overall because Hubbard right now has a little bit more punch than does Miles Sanders. They don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing, uh, but they might lean a little bit more on the running backs here. I just, I just really don't know from that regard. Well, let's go from a game that has the intrigue of the, the, the top three picks in the most recent draft with this Houston Carolina matchup. Uh, let's just jump right into the NFC North. And it feels like the early indication is we might be getting some football weather at Lambeau Field, Sharpie. Where the, the, some of the weather forecasts this week are calling for potentially snow showers. We might see some white stuff. Now it looks like it's, it's likely going to flip over to rain. But uh, the Green Bay Packers are at home catching uh, one and a half against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings just put on a very impressive display on Monday Night Football against the, the San Francisco 49ers. I, I, I think it's reasonable to assert that the Vikings saved their season with, with that win. Um, Green Bay looked horrendous coming off the bye going into Denver. And, you know, the, the Jordan love backers are taking it on the, on the chin a little bit because he, he, he looks, uh, continues to look a little discombobulated. His accuracy numbers are poor. And for some bizarre reason, the green Bay Packers are the worst team in the NFL, uh, scoring, uh, in the first half and the best team in the NFL scoring and efficiency wise. In, in the second half, I have no idea how or why to explain it. But um, folks, I think on balance are disappointed with the performance of the Green Bay Packers. I will tell you that I absolutely adore the Green Bay Packers as a potential teaser leg here. I'm only getting through the seven up to seven and a half. I wish it was all the way up to the eight, but I still think this is a, a great potential teaser leg opportunity. Tell me what you think about this Vikings Green Bay matchup. I don't I don't necessarily disagree with the teaser leg opportunity, especially now that the line is up to one and a half. It has like kind of jumped all around and so you couldn't get the one and a half to tease it up through the seven previously. Now you can later this afternoon slash tonight. So um I think that does present a little bit of intrigue. I'm just very disappointed, House, in in the coaching staff of the Green Bay Packers. Like you can, you, we can blame Jordan Love if we want to. Sort of to me, the lower hanging fruit. But I'm trying to look for the cause as to what really is going on here. You mentioned it. They're scoring points late. Why aren't they scoring points early? Blame the fucking coaching staff. Like that is the reason why. And when I'm looking at the staff, I'll go into it. I mean. You're going up against the Denver Broncos team. The Denver Broncos 
rank 31st in the NFL against explosive passing. They rank 31st in the NFL against play action. They're bad against play action, and they're bad when you throw the ball 15-plus yards down the field. So what do the Green Bay Packers come out here and do? The team that's averaging 9.9 air yards per pass attempt the first six weeks, the deepest target depth of any team in the NFL, perfect for your wheelhouse to continue to try to throw deep. Now you're going up against the 31st-ranked defense against those deep passes, whereas previously you're going up against like four defenses in a row that ranked between number two and number 15 against such deep passes. So yeah, they weren't having a lot of success because you're going up against a lot of good defenses that are really good against those types. And now you're finally playing a defense that's not. So what do you decide to do? Do you go ahead and utilize your strength on their weakness? No, what you decide to do is change up your entire game plan with two weeks to prepare during a bye week. And Jordan Love throws one pass attempt that travels longer than four yards down the field in the entire first half. One pass that goes more than four yards. He averages 2.4 air yards per attempt. Of course it doesn't work because they haven't done it all year and they're going up against a defense that's terrible against the deep stuff, not the short stuff. And they score zero points in the first half and they're trailing. And then they have to get on their horse and be predictably pass heavy in the second half. They also did not utilize play action enough in the first half. And so lo and behold, in the second half, you know, they get back into the game. They start throwing the ball deep. They start utilizing play action. They get back into the game. That to me is coaching. This is, it's simple. It's just a coaching staff that tried to get very cute during the bye week and change some things up without realizing what the weakness is of a defense that you're going up against. And instead of attacking those weaknesses, they tried to get cute with their own offense. And Matt LaFleur himself has been terrible with scripting. Forget last week's game over the course of the entire season. I look at scripting two different ways. The first way is what do you do in your first 15 plays, just total plays, first 15. I also like to look at it. What do you do in your first three possessions of a game? Because in the Packers case, they're averaging about 5.2 plays per possession. Thus, it's right around 15 plays. Their first 15 plays, they're number 30 in success rate, number 30 in yards per play, they're number 30 in third down avoidance. Their first three drives of the game, they rank number 29 in rate of drives that score points. They rank number 31 in drives that result in punts. They rank number 29 in average drive distance and number 27 in points scored per drive. This is a coaching staff that's coming out, not understanding how to attack the weakness of a defense. And there are some coaches that like to set things up and come back to it later in the game and look up, figure out what to attack. But here's the thing, Matt LaFleur should know his team. The importance of building a quick lead. The Green Bay Packers, since he came to town, are 34 and 6. That's 86% when they're leading at halftime. But when they're trailing at halftime, they're 11 and 18. They need to build a lead quickly. They need to jump out to these leads. They need to realize the importance of being explosive. Last point I'll make here. If they have just one pass, one single pass on a drive or a run, that gains 20 plus yards, any type of play, one play that gains 20 plus yards, they rank number five in points per drive. They're scoring over four and a half points per drive if they have a drive with one play that has 20 plus yard gain. 80% of their drives are scoring points, that's number seven, and they have not punted once on one of those drives. If they have a drive that has zero explosive plays, aka what they were trying to do coming out of the bye last week, where they said, let's just throw it short and let's just run the ball. We're not gonna be explosive, but let's just maintain possession and let's march it down the field, convert on third downs. If they have no explosive plays on a drive, they are scoring less than one point per drive, down from four and a half points per drive, less than one. They are punting on 51% of their drives. Remember, they punt zero times when they have at least one explosive play. Like They need to get more explosive. So my concern is that I know, I think what they should be doing, okay, offensively. And they can do it because they're doing it in the second half. But they had two weeks house to prepare for this game. And the prior game, they had a long mini buy because they played Thursday and then they played Monday night. They had extra time to prepare for the game against the Raiders. And they did what? They scored, Mike knows this, I think it was like 16 points in that game. They lost that game. They come back with two weeks to prepare a game plan for this game against another terrible defense and they can't figure out what to do. I just think that this staff is doing a disservice to these players. And uh, I wrote in my book prior to the season that the Packers talent level is down in compared to years past. They have a young wide receiving core and extremely inexperienced quarterback. The coaching staff has to step up this year 
if this team wants to have success because these players aren't going to be able to do it. The coach has to come out here and dominate, have an outstanding year. And that's the only thing that's going to get the Packers to achieve a high, to go over their win total and to have a shot to do anything this season. And right now he's failing to do that in a pretty obvious and glaring way. Um, I would not be laying the, the the Minnesota Vikings here simply because it's not a good spot for them, but I'm having trouble figuring out to get myself onto the Green Bay Packers side. So maybe it is a teaser that could get me there. I do tend to think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring, so a teaser has even more value. Okay, so I'm convinced. I'm going to stay away from Green Bay. Let, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. we break down another couple games, and then it's time to jump into the betting buddies see what everybody has put on the timeline for us. Going to try and keep the bet the house rolling along. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, coming back. We want to talk about the Cleveland Browns and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, this is in the category of our scanning the board, where we look at a line that catches our attention and try and uh, make some sense out of it. The Seahawks are laying three and a half uh, at home. The, the total there is 38. And we're in this very weird position with the, 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 the Cleveland Browns because um, each week we have to look at uh, whether or not Deshaun Watson's going to play. Uh, if he does play, how, how many series is he going to play? The look ahead for this one was Seattle laying one and a half, Seattle minus one and a half, now three and a half, which I, I guess is kind of a head sharpie. What's going on here? Yeah, well, like this line just moved to three and a half recently. And it was a little bit puzzling to me because think about it. The Cleveland Browns were supposed to be a team that was going to win nine and a half games with a what we were believing to be an improved Deshaun Watson, right? Like a Deshaun Watson shake off the rust of 2022, good Deshaun Watson this season. And they were only catching one and a half points here. How is the version of the Browns that now has PJ Walker, who is probably the worst quarterback in the NFL right now. Like he barely is completing 50% of his pass attempts house. Like he's, he's terrible. And now he is the difference between him and a good Deshaun Watson. They moved this line from only uh, one and a half to three. Now it's got bet to three and a half. But my point being, I just don't feel like that is, is significant enough of a move for. PJ Walker to replace Deshaun Watson. And I know it's moving on to a key number. And now the, the, the market has continued to bet Seattle here because the line movement wasn't extreme enough. But I just felt this line to be a little bit puzzling. Um, I guess the one thing I could argue that's pro Browns here is the fact that Geno Smith has the highest sensitivity 
man versus zone versus man coverage. He is terrible. He literally is the worst quarterback in the NFL this season, averaging only 3.6 yards per attempt, dead last 36 out of 36 quarterbacks. And the Browns use man coverage at the highest rate of any team in the NFL. So it's going to be hard for the Cleveland Browns to move the ball. Uh, sorry, for the Seattle Seahawks to move the ball on this Browns defense that plays more man than anybody else in the league. Um, Geno Smith's also taking a lot of pressure, uh, and that's despite playing a lot of defenses that don't really pressure quarterbacks very well. But, you know, on the other side is, is P.J. Walker for the Browns, and P.J. Walker's not good, and the Seahawks defense is improving by leaps and bounds, and their secondary is getting elite. Um, I think that they're going to be able to stuff the run of the Cleveland Browns here that have got a couple of backups now in the game. Um, so I just, I just don't see either offense being able to do a lot through the air here i think the total is is, is justified it's super low but it, like i just don't see a lot of touchdowns being scored in this game yeah so maybe that's that's the correct way to play it we don't expect a repeat of what we saw out of that cleveland browns defense being exploited with what was it uh in the number of of explosive plays that defense gave up some some incredible number of of plays uh over 20 yards gained right not nine different play what was what was that yeah number? by the you, indianapolis you, you colts and shane steichen offense last week right yeah yeah we don't expect a repeat of that so the total feels like uh the right way to go well let, let's jump into the bet the house five and two on the season we're, we're on a nice little roll here we played a teaser last week speaking of the seattle seahawks we had them uh, tease down from eight and a half to two and a half against the uh, Arizona Cardinals. And we had the New York football giants against the Seawords. Uh, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm somewhat disappointed I didn't play the Giants outright on the money line, but tease them up from uh, dogs of two and a half to, to eight and a half. Of course, they won outright. I'm still in the teaser space, Sharpie, and that might be a function of what we talked about at the top of the show, which is how hard it is to be grabbing, you know, sides and, and, and totals this season. For whatever reason, these Wong teasers, these teasers where we're getting through threes and sevens um, are feeling like a little bit more of a comfortable place. One leg for sure, uh, without any hesitation or reservation, I am on the um, Detroit Lions in a bounce back spot uh, on Monday Night Football going up against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I don't have like, you know, a, a ton of in-depth analysis here. The Raiders on the road, they um, looked absolutely abysmal and and utterly unprepared against T-Bag. Uh, Tyson Badgett, great story for the Bears. We love what T-Bag was doing for them. But um, I only have to go from seven and a half down to one and a half on the on that portion of the leg, uh, the other the other leg that I'm thinking about, and it, it it feels like a sucker bet. I'm confessing it right up front. It's the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going into Denver. They're favored by seven and a half. I want to tease them down to one and a half. The Chiefs have beat the Broncos 14 straight times. I don't know whether or not Taylor Swift is going to be in Denver. I kind of don't care, but you know, there's. Um, plenty of reasons to feel comfortable enough with the Chiefs, you know, going up against an opponent that they've absolutely owned. You want to talk me out of either one of those legs? I don't want to, but don't tell me you don't care if she's out there because your bet stands a better chance to hit if she is there, I feel, uh, with, with Travis Kelsey willing the team to victory. So that's actually a teaser that I've contemplated as well. I already have another teaser on the Detroit Lions. I took the Ravens when they were in the teaser window with the Detroit Lions. Uh, I think they're going to make the Raiders very one-dimensional. I know Jimmy G's probably going to be back. This line might continue to drop. I'd be shocked if it gets lower than seven, though. Um, but I just think that the Raiders are not going to be able to run the football. They can't run it against most teams. They're not going to be able to run it against a good defense. And after two straight road games for the Lions, coming back home, playing in the Dome, which they play a lot better in, and needing to get back on track after that epic beatdown they suffered last week, I think it is a good spot for them. And then like playing to the point that I don't love Patrick Mahomes to cover the spread. I don't love them to win with a lot of margin here. But 
they simply know how to win games, whereas the Broncos seem to know how to lose games. They, whether it's coaching or execution or penalties or things at the last minute that just screws this team up. I know they got super lucky last week against the Green Bay Packers, but I, I just have so much more confidence right now in the staff of the Chiefs here. So I can't fault you at all for that one. Yeah, the other thing that I contemplated was seven-point teaser. You could do the Dolphins from nine and a half down to two and a half. You could do the Ravens because the market for the Ravens has gone from eight and a half up to nine and a half. I did get it on the Ravens early enough to get them at as as two and a half point favorites in a teaser leg. But do you have any, give us like a quick observation on the seven point teaser, the situations in which you feel like there's reasonable value there. Well, you absolutely have to get down below the three and you have to move through the seven and the three in order to want to utilize the seven point teaser. And then you have to find a book that's going to give you a good number on that because not all the books have great lines on the seven pointer. So uh, it's few and far between when I would want to utilize a seven pointer, but there are certain instances when I do think those could break out. One more before we get into uh, the betting buddy's house. I want to go ahead and throw out there uh, a prop that I like on the Seattle Seahawks game. I like Kenneth Walker's longest rush over 16 and a half yards. Um, oh, Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss both went over this number last week. In fact, Gardner Minshew even had run a run that was 17 yards. Uh, CMC hit it the week before that. They had a bye. Uh, did the Seattle did uh, the Cleveland Browns? Uh, in week five, Melvin Gordon hit it before that. Najee Harris hit it in week two. Joe Mixon hit it in week one. The Browns have a good defense, but the way they play their defense, there's certain times that they just give up these explosive runs of 21 plus yards and Every single back seems to be capable of hitting at least one of these against them. The only team that could not out of the, what, six games that they've played, there's only been one team that couldn't. And that, ironically enough, was the Tennessee Titans back in week three where they overplayed the run entirely. I don't think that's going to be the case here with three good wide receivers for the Seattle Seahawks out there. Um, I think they're going to overplay the pass in certain times and we're going to hit a big run from Kenneth Walker. So... That's a prop I like. Uh, speaking of props, do the betting buddies have any props that you are interested in this week? Well, we know we put out the call. We got some good feedback. Uh, and like last week, we're trying to catch a winner. Now, we talked about sort of, you know, trying to come up with correlated legs. We liked a game script last week. And I think our winner... Uh, producer Mike will correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Adrian Brovier. Is that, is, am I getting his name right? Um, yes. he came up, he had very nice combination. It was the Eagles money line. It was under 50 and a half. It was, uh, Deandre Swift over 50 rushing yards. Those, those, um, elements all made sense. This is why we chose it. It had it paid off at, at a nice number and that, that game script, you know, we we thought the weather might be a little worse than it was, um, but but the the Eagles did control the clock in that game, and you know that that was a nice uh, winner. I'm looking for another kind of situation like like that, perhaps. But let's see what's what's out there on on the board. Okay, so we've got an entry here, and keep in mind the way that you have to submit in order to get the prize from FanDuel, nice prize from FanDuel, is you actually have to show us a ticket of a bet that you literally placed. It can be any bet, any type, does not have to be a parlay, does not have to be a teaser, does not have to be a prop, but you actually have had to put at least some sense on this thing, some of your money on this thing, and you can get the prize. Uh, so we have one here, House, I'll throw out there, Junior Jones at Mr. T35LA. His username is good on paper, and he's got a three-leg six-point teaser for you. It pays out plus 140. He's going Philadelphia Eagles down to minus one, the Kansas City Chiefs down to minus one and a half, and the Detroit Lions down to minus one and a half. Obviously, I felt like this one would hit you right in the in the good vibes area of your bones <laughs> because you're already yeah. on the Chiefs and the Lions, so you're just throwing in the Philadelphia Eagles against your C-words. So what do you make of yeah. that one? Well, I, I, I like this very much. I mean, we went through the deep analysis here already on the Lions and the Chiefs, and this is another NFC 
East matchup. The only thing that gives me any pause whatsoever is that this for Washington really is a kitchen sink kind of game. They were were so uh, grotesque against the Giants, seven points, and the entire offense is under a microscope. Um, and there's a lot of frustration on the Washington side. And they have played the Eagles relatively tough. Now, what we're all we're asking the Eagles to do in this instance, Sharpie, is win. Win by one point. Um, and, you know, the Eagles really looked uh, tough uh, against uh, Miami last week. I'm, I'm, I like this. I like this. It's a, it's a play. I just wanted to sound the cautionary note on the, on the Eagles leg because the other legs we already went through. And I love them. Goodbye. Good, good job by J.R. Jones, Junior Jones. We like that one. Yeah, so we like that one. Another one, guy's not in a FanDuel state, Turner Badoff, Badorf, uh, but he likes the Lions tease to the Ravens. We already talked about this one previously. You cannot uh, any longer tease the, the Ravens down with the six-pointer, but that would have been a good one. I personally am on that one as well. Uh, and again, we'll read off your name, even if you're not in a FanDuel state and you've got a good bet that the house likes. There's another one that I wanted to mention to you that you contemplated for a split second, but then you astutely mentioned something about the opponent of this team. So Big Uncle 3X over uh, suggested that they like the Arizona Cardinals on the first half spread at catching five and a half points. But you astutely mentioned, hey, Sharpie, isn't the, aren't the Baltimore Ravens the best team in the first quarter of games at scoring points? And sure enough, the Baltimore Ravens, not only have they scored the most points of any team in the NFL in the first quarter, which is 55, they've allowed the fewest points of any team in the first quarter, which is six. Thus, their point margin, their average margin lead after the first quarter, they're up by 49 points. No other team is up by more than 29 points over the rest of the NFL. And they they are the second best team at halftime in average point margin, leading by 69 points on average scoring 104, allowing only 35. So for those reasons, you weren't as bullish. Some weeks you have been, but this week you weren't as bullish on the Arizona Cardinals in the first half, considering the way that the Ravens have played, assuming they don't have a letdown, which they could off that huge win at home against the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I'm looking for the letdown from the Ravens, not this week, but but next week, potentially. I think that Arizona has revealed itself as, as you know, the team that we all kind of thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. Everybody's got Josh Dobbs kind of dialed now. We saw it, uh, what, what Seattle did in, in containing him. They let him make the mistakes he's going to make. So I appreciate the thought process there from uh, so bone deep, but uh, I think we're going to go with Junior. I think the, this, this nice three-leg positive uh, money, uh, you know, uh, three-leg teaser, and all, we're adding on the, the Eagles to the Chiefs and the Lions, which we already loved. Uh, his uh, Twitter handle, at Mr. T35LA, Junior Jones. Uh, and, you know, he did a great job of putting a ticket with a FanDuel username. Um, let, let's, let's go try and cash a little plus 143 leg teaser this week, Sharpie. Absolutely. Look, the the, the uh, betting buddies won last week, so let's keep it rolling this week. Speaking of keeping it rolling, we've got the East Coast bias guys back with the same game parlay for the Cowboys-Rams game. We didn't dive into that game, but you guys did. You've got your t- uh, same game parlay that you're going to be sharing on Ringer Socials this weekend. So tune in for that because the guys got some nice angles that they're looking forward to in that. House, anything else that we missed? I'm pretty happy with this. A giant slate. The only thing, uh, speaking of miss, I, I, I'm happy that both of the Sunday night and Monday night games are kind of dogs because I'm going to, I've been missing my wife. So I'm going to spend some time with her uh, on, on Sunday night, and Monday night, potentially. Oh, that's, that's romantic. You, you're striking a romantic vibe uh, <laughs> for me, House. I love to hear that. Um, we obviously have Halloween coming up as well, guys. So make sure that if you if you do have kitties, uh, it happens once a year. Kids do remember things like that. Try to try to uh, slip out and, uh, you know, enjoy the holiday with them a little bit on Tuesday night. Um, so just wanted to throw that other bit of advice out to you. Uh, but that'll do it, guys. Thank you to everyone for listening. The Ringer Gambling Show will return on Monday when the East Coast Bias guys get back together to preview Monday Night Football 
to look at the World Series and even to cover some NBA action. Thanks to Joe House for joining me and to Mike Wargon and Steve Cerruti for producing this episode. Good luck with all your bets this weekend, guys. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT-STEP to 53342. In Connecticut, you can call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. In Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. Visit in Maryland, mdgamblinghelp.org. In West Virginia, you can visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Or in Wyoming, you can call 1-800-522-4700. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call in New York 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.